0: hello and welcome to out of the frame conversations about photography i'm pia johnson your host and this podcast features conversations about photography creativity and the world we live in I'll be talking to other photographers, curators, academics and researchers about their work, artistic process and how they feel about contemporary photography today. Out of the Frame acknowledges the people of the Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nation, on whose unceded lands we record each episode from. We respectfully acknowledge ancestors and elders, past and present. It was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello, welcome to Out of the Frame podcast. I'm Pia Johnson, your host today. This episode, we welcome Rebecca Najowski, who is an American-Australian artist whose work examines imagining technologies, the meditation of nature, and the visualizations of the climate emergencies. Rebecca engages with the material and political implications of representing nature through photographic technologies. Using analog and digital materials, often countered to their intended use, Her artworks offer alternative modes to habitual ways of seeing and sensing more than human nature. Rebecca's work has been presented internationally, including at the Aperture Foundation in New York, the Museum of Australian Photography in Australia, the Belfast Photo Festival in Northern Ireland. Rebecca's practice has been supported by a Fulbright Fellowship to Brazil, an artist fellowship with the Centre for Creative Photography in Arizona, and through residencies at BAMP Centre in Canada, the Institute for Electronic Art at Alfred University in New York and Color Art Institute, California. Rebecca received her MFA from California College of the Arts in San Francisco and has a PhD from the Victorian College of the Arts at University of Melbourne. She is currently a lecturer in photography at RMIT University. Rebecca was raised on the traditional lands of the Pueblo people in northern New Mexico, USA, and currently lives and works on unceded Wurundjeri land in Australia. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for coming today. Um, It would be really great if you could start us off uh, by telling us a little bit about your practice and how you got into
1: photography. Sure. Well, my practice really deals with nature and how we visualize and mediate nature through photographic technologies. And I'm pretty interested in using all sorts of mediums to explore some of those ideas And lately, that's kind of moved more into a focus on the climate emergency and how we negotiate that in a visual way. And then in terms of just how I got started, um, yeah, I just took a class at university, (laughs) just a photo 101, darkroom, black and white, as an elective, sounded like it'd be fun. And uh, I fell in love with it, you know, I think it's pretty common for people to have that experience of making their first print and it's in the developer and the image kind of slowly appears and it feels a little bit like magic. And I definitely had that experience and was just so taken by it and decided to change what I wanted to study at university. I think I was a creative writing major at the time and moved into photography, essentially. I don't have a BFA in photography I just took a lot of photo classes and yeah I was actually kind of thinking a little bit about how how my work has evolved over the years and I think back to that first class and in that class the first portfolio series that I did the sort of final project has ties to what I do now really It was, uh, you know, a series of, I don't know, let's say 15 images or 20 images, black and white. And I did night photography in the desert. (laughs) Um, I'm from New Mexico originally, so I was studying at the University of New Mexico. And I would just go out, sometimes with my dad, and we would, like, drive along these dirt roads in the middle of nowhere, and I would just take pictures of stuff. Sometimes landscapes, sometimes landscape with odd things placed in them so people would dump you know refrigerators and couches and that sort of thing in the middle of nowhere and so i'd photograph those objects you know in the environment so in a weird way there's this kind of ongoing connection between nature and humans and how humans kind of negotiate natural spaces and and the idea of nature yeah wow that's fantastic um what a great
0: story though i love that idea of going out into the desert with your dad and finding these odd moments maybe, um, or these kind of uncanny synergies between the human remnant and the landscape. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I was looking for struck by just the oddities (laughs) of what was left in the landscape. And yeah, I mean, it had a bit to do with just sort of people dumping large objects you know and discarding them and just feeling like those were places to be able to abandon stuff that they needed to get rid of that they didn't want to take to the the dump and pay money to throw out so they just put it you know wherever was convenient but it also was there was something about those objects being in that space that felt incongruous and so that was another thing that I was drawn to with it as well. Yeah, I Mm
0: -hmm. think it's really fascinating also in terms of what you're saying about where your practice is now and I guess the journey that you've come from. I think there is a really clear link to those early images um, but also this idea of, yeah, those incongruent moments or the lack of care around landscape or what those objects might be in 20 years, if they're still there or not, you Mm -hmm. know. And you mentioned that you grew up or you're from the US, Um, I'd love you to talk a little bit more about what it was like growing up there. You are quite close to the national parks um, and maybe how those earlier experiences of being in and among and I think sometimes you talk about being with nature um, or the environment uh, has really affected your practice.
1: I think... Yeah, place and land has always been really important to me, um, just in my life. And in a way, the the feeling or the power of land has always been really important to me. I think part of that is growing up where I did, where the land and the landscape is very present, where, regardless of where you are. Um, you know, being in Melbourne you can almost sort of forget where we're positioned because it's such an urban place. Um, But I'm from a relatively small city of like around 80,000 people. And so it's almost like no matter where you are, you see the mountains and you can it's always sort of like present. Um, And so I think because of that and, and also just growing up spending a lot of time outside hiking and camping and being kind of in communion with nature, that inevitably informs my interest in it as well and just also just the want to and the desire to care for it. And so I think that's partly where I've been kind of preoccupied with how we've now come to kind of conceive and deal with nature and natural spaces and the environment. Yeah, wow.
0: I think the thing that I find really fascinating is that presence of land and the, and nature and maybe Also, the idea of our place in it, but how small we are compared to it. And um, I think you're right. I think Melbourne uh, and bigger cities, you don't have that continual sort of, you always check in with the landscape. It's always there. There's a presence. And I feel like that does come across in the work that you produce now. But I want to go back a little bit in kind of those early days and talk about a creative residency that you did at the Centre for Creative Photography in Tucson, Arizona. Because it seemed to me that that was quite an inspirational period for you. You were talking about the national parks and those early kind of photography days in your journey, but also America and the kind of traditional landscape and the epic landscape. You know, it is very much an American carved out photographic space. And so, yeah, if you could talk to us a little bit more about that creative residency experience and sort of what it was like to, I guess, be in conversation with some of those very well-known photographs.
1: Yeah, it was such a great opportunity. And so that's at the Center for Creative Photography in Tucson is actually how it's pronounced. Oh, apologies, Tucson. (laughs) Uh, And that opportunity came about um, as also, I also was a visiting assistant professor at the university there. So that's part of the university, and it's one of the largest archives, uh, photographic archives, probably globally, definitely in the United States, and it was started by Ansel Adams, actually. I think he approached the then president of the university and said, hey, I want to, you know, give my negatives and give my stuff to something, and let's start an archive. And so that was sort of started up. And that legacy of Ansel Adams, I feel like, is something that I'm always kind of drawn to and pushing back against at the same time. Very traditional, very, um, I guess it's sort of presenting this view of nature as pristine and perfect, and there is no sense of human beings at all. It's as if they don't exist. Whereas where he was making images, Definitely was a presence. He was just choosing to leave that part out. So, um, so it's kind of it's always a little bit fascinating that that's become the sort of standard way to photograph landscape is to almost pretend <laughs> that the human isn't part of it in some way. So it was an opportunity to kind of be a part of that landscape legacy, but do something a little bit different. And so the work that I made there in the end was I did. Uh, lumen prints with desert rain. And I also made a series of sea print photograms with animals, plants, and minerals from that desert area. So what was really helpful is that I was at the university and I was able to um, basically connect with research labs and borrow biological (laughs) and mineral (laughs) material, really, to make these images. Um, some of them are like proper photograms where the objects are on the photo paper when I'm exposing them. But sometimes they come from putting objects inside the enlarger. So, you know, at one point I was sticking like little bats in there, bat wings and different crystals and rocks and um, and all sorts of objects, whatever I could kind of fit inside. <laughs> whatever was thin enough to allow me to put in, I would make an exposure of um, so I was kind of thinking, how can I make images about this environment in a way that's not just like going out and taking a formal photograph of it? But how can I sort of try to bring the elements of the environment into the practice a little bit more? And um, and I also um, did a video piece with the, with the sun using a camera that had a CCD sensor, which they're known to be pretty Bad with intense light. <laughs> and so I thought, all right, let's see what happens if I point this camera directly at the sun. And it's a sort of purposeful, you know, I'm not letting it totally break, but I'm kind of taking it to the edge of its function. And I'm sort of interested in how our technologies and our mediums that we use mediate these both environments and natural phenomena. And also uh, how we can kind of, I don't know, acknowledge that they're doing it <laughs> instead of them being really transparent. We sort of understand more that it's this sort of like translation once we start to see it fall apart a little bit. So I think that's another kind of recurring element. So that was a sort of disco- that was a discovery I made there that I've continued. And then I would say especially the Prince of Rain, where I've taken black and white darkroom paper and the rare instances where it would rain in the desert. (laughs) There's really just a small window of a monsoon season. And so there's a period of a few weeks where it does rain, you know, not every day, but the storm clouds come in. So you kind of have to keep an eye out if there's going to be a little sprinkle or not. And um, so there's something about the kind of ephemeral rain of the desert and the rain itself is really what's developing the the print it's kind of making its own image on the surface of the paper Um, so there's something really interesting to me about that where I'm really kind of calling in the elements to do their own thing and I think that's another aspect of my practice that I've I started there but I've continued on as well.
0: And do you think those That early work there and those discoveries that you made gave you a curiosity to further expand that, I guess, the process. I mean, you use a lot of alternative processes, that idea of being with the landscape, the elements that, is it going to rain? Is it going to rain? But also, I, I love that idea of you putting things into the larger. Like, it makes sense to me when you are exposing things onto paper and there's a materiality about that. But when you're putting into the larger, it's all about light. Like it's all and, and the translucency of the thing, the object you're putting in there or the mi- minerals or it really does take on that materiality and the substance of life and the substance of our earth. Mm-hmm. I guess expanding on that and developing those ideas through that discovery and through that curiosity, you've kind of gone, I think, quite a few steps further in disrupting your photography of the landscape. Do you want to talk a little bit more about where those ideas kind of, I guess, led to?
1: Sure, yeah, it's definitely, that was a jumping off point, certainly. And then, you know, you just take it as far as you can take it from there. Um, I guess one thing, I just kind of a side note on putting the objects in the enlarger, one thing that I'm kind of realizing now that is interesting to me about that is it also feels very scientific. You know, it feels like a kind of microscopic view almost, because, of course, you're taking something small and making it much larger, whereas a photogram, it's a one-to-one scale. So there was something kind of science fair project sciencey sort of feeling about that. And, of course, I was working with, you know, science labs, but I'm just kind of thinking about that now as a reflection that I, there's this kind of impulse that feels like a scientific impulse to kind of see what does this look like and and how does this behave in these conditions um so that's just a (laughs) i think that's really interesting in terms of i think that's what
0: we do a lot of the time as photographers and the moment of curiosity and discovery but experimentation and play but we're working with tools and techniques and processes and i think exactly there is a science element especially when you are Dealing, like working literally with artifacts, but that idea of magnifying those experiences and like putting them under the microscope or putting them in the Petri dish. And I guess the photographs of rain with the rain is doing the same thing. You're recording rain in a very scientific kind of manner, even though it's an artistic object at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it's, it is fairly counter to a more maybe conventional photography where you're attempting to record a scene as accurately as possible. And instead, I'm much more interested in trying to see what these photographic materials can do in unexpected ways. So, you know, you mentioned experimentation and play. I think that's huge for me. And um, and it is kind of the way that I, I tend to not Stick with any one process. I, I bounce around quite a bit in terms of what I'm going to try next uh, for any given project. And the materiality of any given process is hugely important to the concept as well. Like the, for me, there needs to be a matchup somehow. And if not a matchup, that it's just, it's literally part of it, you know, it's part of the concept. And and I think what's also really interesting about the idea of play, particularly in terms of like more heady subjects, like the climate emergency, play is almost like a way to disguise like learning and understanding, <laughs> you know, it's what kids do when they're learning. They play, but they're learning through that process and it just seems like it's fun but something else is happening on another level. And I think that's kind of the brilliance of playful art as well. It's on the surface, it's sort of light and fun, but something else is kind of going on at the same time on, in a, another, um, another, maybe not dimension, but a, another layer, I guess.
0: I definitely think that, that your work has that element to it. They're textural and they're very, like, I'm thinking some of the early works very textual, very beautiful kind of meditations on landscape and meditations on the materials you're using. But you know something else is going on, I think. You know there are layers as you sit with your work that comes through. And I think that's a nice intersection into this notion you talk about of being more than representational. And ironically, I think my understanding when I first read this phrase of yours was, you know, so more than just being a landscape photograph, but actually through your play and through the materiality or the process, whether it be a machine learning or analog kind of process, all of your images do become more representational. They, there's a surface layer that may spark joy or contemplation or the sublime, but actually there's many layers and complexities beneath them. How do you think using these phrases has sort of shifted the way you talk about and the way, you know, you have done a PhD? So you articulate your ideas around landscape, the climate change, the Anthropocene, and as artists and what we can do. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: I might just talk a little bit about that idea of more than representational first, just to kind of, um, I guess, set set the stage a little bit. It's the idea has a couple different facets to it, at least how I think about it. And part of it is that it is, you know, kind of dealing with representation in a way, right? I'm pretty interested in the idea of how nature is represented. And then the more than part in a way has to do with like leveraging representation to kind of comment on it. And then on the other hand, I'm also often bringing in again, these, you know, elements from nature natural phenomena to become part of the images and so in that sense I think of it as being more than representational it's also like material and it's also force and so those are sort of two parts to this to the concept I suppose um, so that's that's something that I was trying to kind of unpack in my PhD a little bit does that also talk to this idea that you
0: use also that's more than human or do you feel like that's a separate area? It's
1: a little bit separate but more than representational is kind of borrowing from the term more than human. More than representational uh, I don't think I'm necessarily the first person to use it but it's not something that I've come across much where there's more than human is in the nomenclature of you know, new materialist and post-human Uh, humanities, you know, more than human comes up a bit. And I do tend to use that in part to signal that um, one, I mean, nature, we are nature. So if we're trying to talk about, you know, the nature outside of the human being, sometimes more than human helps us to sort of think about that a little bit. But I also am drawn to the idea of more than and thinking, I guess, bigger (laughs) about these ideas so it kind of signals that there's something that uh, I guess it signals sort of the layers and the intricacies and the entanglements, um so it's kind of helpful in that way. but in terms of I guess talking about my work using that kind of language it's i I still am kind of struggling actually with you know different audiences for my work or different yeah there's sort of different conversations in a way. Doing the PhD, you think about your work in terms of research and how it can answer questions that you're asking. But I also, am, you know, am interested in my work sort of just speaking to like a broader audience that isn't really thinking about research necessarily and is just kind of interested in images and nature and sort of thinking about photography in playful ways. So I, I'm still con- trying to figure out the balance between, you know, different conversations about my work with different different audiences.
0: You've used video before. You use cameraless photography. Uh, you mentioned the analog photograms. You've done light installations and augmented reality. Like so many of these, as you say, maybe I could say you get a little bit bored and you want to try and challenge or, you you know, that curiosity just keeps um, peeking over to the next new thing. I've seen Google aspects in your work. I've seen like maps, I should say, just a whole range of different tools and images kind of sneak into your work. I'm not sure if that's the best term, but it would be great if you could tell us more about how that came about like why did you go into especially the new technologies
1: expanded photographic practice realm? you know I think I'm just I'm kind of curious about what I can do with a particular process or a particular medium and I find that I usually learn about something and I'm like hmm that's cool what can I do with that and It will often be in my back pocket for a year or two and it takes a little while uh, and I kind of let it just sit there and think about what can I, what's the project that's going to really work with this process and sometimes I come up with something and sometimes I don't. (laughs) But, um, But it usually, yeah, interestingly, I tend to start with, in a way, the the process and the materiality almost before I have the concept and I'm kind of waiting for the concept to come up into my, my mental space or something. And then I, and then there's just a click at some point. Like it's just, there's, there's usually an aha moment and it's just like, that's it. Okay. Got it. So yeah, I think it's kind of just being interested in playing with these processes and tools and mediums and, and just waiting for the right project to come along to really sink my teeth into it. I'll experiment and dabble and play around a little bit and try to like understand how it works maybe. But then the, the fully realized project usually comes up later when I figure out what's the real, what what is the project in this process? So, you know, an example might be a few years ago, I did some 3D scans of plants with a 3D scanner that gets mounted onto an iPad. And it's a pretty basic scanner. It's you know quite affordable compared to many of the others. And it, it's been around for a little while. So I, I had it and I was trying it out with lots of different things. And um, at some point, I sort of arrived at... Well, one, actually, I realized that the app that accompanied it basically said you can't use this outside, (laughs) that it wouldn't work. So of course, then I'm like, I need to make some images outside with this 3D scanner. Um, It doesn't want me to use it outside. And that's because the solar light's really intense, actually, compared to indoor light, as photographers know, if you've ever had to deal with changing film speeds or ISO. (laughs) And yeah, so there was something about knowing that it wouldn't really work very well outside, so I wanted to try to see what can I get it to do. And over time, I sort of realized, oh, okay, this is a project kind of about, I'm gonna try it with plants, so it'll be a project about plants and using that that technology to, to scan these plants and to kind of render them enough where it's clear what they are, but they are very, very flawed. And um, they're very much at the edge of being functional. They kind of have these like glitches and weird patches that just don't really make sense. And I think that goes back to wanting to explore technology and imaging technology and, and understanding the line between what's viable and what's not and to also make it visually obvious that... This this device doesn't actually accurately represent the real world, that it's it's a translation of some kind, but it's um, it's really creating a construction that can fall apart. (laughs) And it's kind of no different than any other more sophisticated, clean, transparent photograph or imaging process. But I'm just trying to point out the fact that, you know, it's translating nature for us. It's not just giving us this like perfect view of something that's real, that exists. Do you think that's something that photographers
0: historically have tried to not show us? That it's about the polished, glossy, transparent, beautiful, pristine image, or the portrait, or the definitely the landscape, and that the tool is there just as the translation tool, but actually the artistic medium is this fine polished image rather than going, there is a glitch or, you know, I think of old processes. One of the first things I did as a work experience student was in a portrait studio where I had to go back and put the ink dots back for where the negative, like the, the print had a had for whatever the, reason, the for spotting. The, the spotting. Mm-hmm. So, and making sure that I had the right gradient and, you know, translucency and, you know, layering them up. Mm-hmm. And this is well before I wanted to become a photographer, because we couldn't have those non kind of real moments, like it was a disruption to the image. So I guess what I'm trying to ask here is do you think that by doing that, by placing that emphasis on actually this is an image, this is and it's also temporal as well. And the thing that I'm photographing may or may not be there tomorrow. Um, is part of the strategies and the kind of concepts of representation for you, but also what you're trying to communicate.
1: Yeah, definitely. And look, I think some, there definitely are perspectives on photography and photographers take the perspective of using it as a craft to communicate something that is true and real. And obviously photography has a very, Long history with the concept of truth. So in a way, I'm I am kind of in dialogue with that idea and in, yeah, maybe playing with it a little bit, challenging it a little bit, um, roughing it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak, because I do think that I do find it pretty interesting that we you know, we in scare quotes, look at photographs and kind of take it to be this depiction of something that it exists. Obviously, that's shifting now um, in many ways and has been for a long time. But in, in, in some ways, we sort of accept these as documents, as something that it, that's existed. And I do find it interesting to kind of challenge that. You know, I, I'd say that that's, particularly with my project Ambient Pressure, that's really maybe th- sort of like the key point of it is to draw attention to how photography has framed landscape and nature, and um, and really just to point out that you know photographs are constructions. Actually, they're not just a window into these spaces, but um, they're they're invented and made. While we're talking about ambient pressure, I would
0: like to know a little bit more about how you're doing those processes for the work and. You're using six by seven um, film, but you were also working with your own archive of images. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I started by working with my own arch. It actually was sort of part of the PhD work where I realized, okay, I'm trying to challenge this idea of landscape in my work, and I had the realization that I actually just need to go back to like, kind of conventional, traditional landscape images. And I've been taking photographs of landscape and of nature for many years, without any real point or reason to take these photographs other than because I identify as a photographer and have a camera with me. So I started the project by going through all these photographs that I'd taken, you know, I, maybe the past eight years or so. And using that as the starting point to disrupt them. And I was partly inspired by the work of Thomas Burroughs, who did this series called Cancellations. And, you know, he was kind of of the new topographics era, sort of, uh, making work in the American West. He was actually, I think, at the University of New Mexico, possibly teaching there. I could be wrong. But he was making work in... The late '70s and early '80s, and he would take these really kind of banal photographs, and then just carve this like big X into the negative and print those images. And there's something about this like real physical negation that I was drawn to. So I thought I might try to do that in an updated way, with this focus on you know landscape and nature. So I yeah I took these negatives, and I think the first one I did is um, just poked a bunch of tiny holes with an entomology pin (laughs) so really tiny pins and printed that you know to see what that would look like and and then kept the process going and in the end I I I wasn't really so interested in being too formulaic like I use wildly different processes so all sorts of materials um, you know burning painting I'm using highlighters I'm folding I'm cutting I'm also putting objects on the negatives when I scan them. So some of them are, the negative is fully manipulated. Some of them have an obstruction added when I scan. I'm kind of like playing around in the enlarger a little bit. Like, let's stick these objects in here and see what happens. And then I also will print some images and manipulate the images directly. In part, because I'm kind of also interested in perception and playing a little bit with A sense of dimensionality so they're i don't know if how cohesive they are in some ways (laughs) maybe when you look at them all together but because they're so varied in the techniques that i'm using to manipulate them they yeah they can be kind of wildly different actually they have a really strong sense of
0: color and dynamism about them though uh, I haven't seen heaps of the images, but the ones I've seen, there is a really strong sense of landscape through colour, that fun kind of play. And it's interesting to hear the different types of manipulation and process. I was wondering if you scanned all of them or how you know how you actually went through that process. But the ones that I have looked at, when you put them up against each other, they do feel like a set, though. Like they feel... And I've, I saw your PhD work or the exhibition and there was a real sense of vibrancy and cohesive I
1: guess color like tones is Mm -hmm. that
0: intentional
1: yeah I mean I I like bright colors (laughs) um and well they're also like not a lot of the time they're not natural colors so it's bringing in something into the imagery that is quite a bit different than what you would actually find in the environment. Although, that being said, a lot of the landscape imagery that we see now is also kind of hyper-colored. Like, it's also not what that space looks like if you're standing in that environment. You see the photograph of it, and it's like the tones are just completely um, beyond something that's, like, accurate quote-unquote. Yeah. Look, I think, I think part of it's just like a natural like draw to kind of wild colors, <laughs> and so I just thought, hey, you know, I can do this. I can do make this however I want, and I want to use these crazy colors. And yeah, and I guess there's maybe a cohesiveness in the sense that yeah, there's a sort of let uh, me maybe a vibrancy in in many of them, but not all of them. And I've noticed that depending on how they're sequenced, you really get a sense of that. So I can pull out sequences that are actually quite muted and sort of soft. I tend to not do that, though. <laughs> um, and when that sequence is, when I sort of pull a sequence like that together, I kind of am like, oh, this feels weird. It doesn't feel quite right. I I feel like I, I kind of want that punch to it, I've noticed. Yeah. Do you think that's part of your
0: authorship to these images as well so you're yes you take the photograph you then go through this sort of manipulation process to whatever whim object item you want to do and then that adding of color and then sequencing again is you know it's a really artistic authorship over the series and i mean i love that you just said that you just love wild color i think that's great and to own that especially in this realm of shouldn't it be a green hill or shouldn't it be a red desert, you know? So we get a feeling that maybe these landscapes could be these colours, could have these holes or these marks or these googly eyes in them. Is that process for you part of your experimentation and play?
1: Definitely. And I think the way that you put it, that that's kind of your authorship, Yeah, that that resonates definitely for me, I think. And yeah, I I mean, I I would say, you know, Ambient Pressure is a playful series. If you have a chance to have a look at it, it, it's hard to not read it that way just because of the different manipulations that are made. And I feel like I've gone increasingly in that direction. I've made some new images recently, and that's been further emphasized. (laughs) So, again, it's sort of that sneaky way of connecting with a viewer or an audience and drawing them in with that sense of play and color with the hopes that they'll sort of consider what they're looking at a little bit deeper as well once they're kind of drawn in. So there is—I think that's partly why I kind of go for color and vividness. Like, I really want—I want somebody to— kind of be taken by the images and i want them to stand out i don't want them to sort of disappear or fade i want them to pop um and i and i want somebody to have that experience of kind of going like oh wow okay what's going on here um so i think that's partly both the use of color but also like the kinds of manipulation that i'm doing is to is to really draw people in i think
0: you're definitely doing that i think you can't ignore your images, which is uh, a wonderful thing to be able to say. This, a lot of the work that you are doing is now moving into a photo book with Tall Poppy Press that uh, you'll be releasing later in the year. I spoke to the publisher, Matt Dunn, and I asked him to tell me a bit about why he loves your work and the process of putting your work together. And, and he said, and I quote, he loves the playful, fun and experimental aspects of Rebecca's work. While it comes from a considered and serious place, you get the feeling after spending time with the images that Rebecca is enjoying herself making the work, end quote. Could you speak a little bit more about what we will see in the book and the process so far that you're in?
1: So we're now in the process of really kind of sequencing the work. Uh, We've had a few different sessions of doing that and at one point I sort of took a look at what we had and was like I need to make some more images here. So, I think about 18 ish, we'll see in the end, are newly created images that I'm putting in kind of in response to having a look at the big picture of the whole project and kind of feeling out like what do I feel like I still want to do in terms of you know, I have a big list of and I tend to actually work in in fits almost just because of my life. Um, So I will be gathering some reference images. If I see something interesting that kind of stands out and I'm like, "Mm, maybe there's something I can kind of bounce an idea off of this image somehow. Or if I'm thinking, if I come across a, a physical material, I'll save it away and like, Oh, maybe I can use this to make an image with, or I might think about a process or a manipulation and I'll have a list of all the different things that I still want to try with these negatives and these prints. So I had to feel like I, I wanted to feel like I fully exhausted those lists and possibilities. And then I also responded a little bit to sequence and sort of seeing what was happening in terms of the book and the flow and the, the kind of rhythm of it. And if there were certain points where I felt like I need a certain kind of image to, in this spot then I would try to make it. Um, so that's where I've been the last couple months is working on that. And we're getting close to coming up with a nearly finished sequence. <laughs> I'm really excited actually about some of the writing that's gonna be incorporated into the book. So I did my MFA at California College of the Arts in San Francisco slash Oakland. We had two campuses um, and there was a creative, a person that was doing um, their MFA in creative writing, Tom Kamita. And I just noticed recently that he released this book called The Nature Book, um, where he's basically done kind of like a collage supercut of all of these descriptions of nature from canonical novels So he's taken these parts of nature that are usually the background to a novel. And he's making a novel basically of of nature. Nature is the only subject. And uh, there's just some really interesting stuff in there. And so that will be woven in with the images. And I think that In particular, it was really exciting for me because there's just a lot of conceptual links to what I'm trying to do. And I think what Tom is trying to do with this idea of nature and kind of like reworking nature and also but just thinking about how we've come to image or visualize or speak of nature. So that's an exciting development with the book as well. And it will be released in October is the plan. So I'm looking forward to that process,
0: yeah. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And it's your first book,
1: is that correct? Yeah, it's my first book.
0: Yeah, so I'm very excited to see that and look forward to it coming out. I want to ask you a question that's probably a little bit more serious uh, around climate change, the climate crisis that we're living in and the Anthropocene, and specifically more about how you think your photo kind of media contribution as an artist speaks to that and how you see us as a globe, as an earth, moving towards a better understanding of where we are headed, but also artistically how, how artistically we can communicate what is actually going on.
1: I obviously think about this a lot. (laughs) I guess part of it is that I see my work and my, because my work is as an artist, so the only way that—it's not the only way, but it's sort of the primary way that I see that I can actually speak to something or do something is through an artistic practice. And really, I guess what I'm trying to do with the work is—and the most simple way of putting it is that I'm interested in trying to get people to see nature the climate crisis in a different way, through a slightly different lens— With the idea that maybe through that different perspective or shift in perspective, we might think about nature or the climate emergency in a slightly different way. I don't know how much direct impact it has, right? It's um, I think it's very difficult for single artworks to really have some kind of impact. But I think to me, the contribution is the dialogue and participating in the conversation about you know what's happening and what we can do about it it's it doesn't approach anything like policy change <laughs> these really important steps that need to happen in order for something significant to, to change in our predicament but culturally we need to be in conversation about what's happening and what we can do and so I just sort of feel like my work is a small little drop a little voice in this conversation
0: that's really beautifully put
1: thank you My last question is, what's next for you? Well, um, besides the book, I have another project that I'm starting to work on called Another Nature, uh, which is, um, and again, this kind of speaks to this idea of like finding a process or a technology that you kind of I have in my back pocket for a little while. Um, I started photographing um, with an infrared camera. Places that have been impacted by fire. And part of that came out of being in the midst of the black summer fires that occurred in 2019, 2020, that summer. And, yeah, it was kind of like a – it was very personally affecting for me, um, partly because I was traveling in that area and was evacuated, and it just was this – like the very – Just the most direct experience I've had with the impacts of climate change in a more like terrifying way. We're all encountering climate change in these subtle ways. But when it becomes something like fire, it becomes a bit more terrifying. So I wanted to make something about that on some level, and I didn't really know how And then meanwhile, I was just kind of playing around with an infrared camera (laughs) and um, was just taking pictures when I would like go camping or go on hikes and that sort of thing. And initially I just had a point and shoot camera that was converted. And I took a photograph of a, you know, kind of a forested area and there was one tree that had been burnt and then the rest seemed kind of fine. And there was just the, 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 burnt bark was just so stark against the bright pink leaves of the rest of the trees. And I just, in that moment was like, Oh, okay, this is the next project. (laughs) So, um, so I've since been going to places that I was actually meant to go to on that black summer trip and just returned to the sites or, or went to them for the first time because we couldn't go there because of, um, the the fires that were happening and um and of course I had to wait a while because we were in pretty extreme lockdown in Melbourne so it wasn't really until uh I guess it was last year was maybe the the beginning of last year that I kind of went out to some of these sites and started photographing and mostly in Victoria a little bit in south coast New South Wales and then recently I went to the U.S. And in my home state, New Mexico, they also just had their largest forest fire that they've ever had on record. That was due to a out of control controlled burn, and um, and so I, you know, so that was kind of photographing the edge of. Um, I'll call it fresh fire for lack of a better term, because it was, you know, had just happened a few months back and then also proceeded to kind of do a bit of a road trip and encountered other areas that had been impacted by fire some almost 20 years ago that were still kind of recovering. So this is kind of becoming the new project. I'm still trying to figure out the different elements to it. There will be more than just the infrared photographs And I'm thinking about different ways that we're imaging, um, well, different ways that we can image fire and look at the impacts of fire. So the infrared photographs. I'm also looking at using electron scanning microscopes and um, potentially satellite data. I don't know how it's coming together yet, but it will be a reflection on on fire and how we image it and how we understand it through our imaging technology.
0: Yeah, fascinating. That sounds really exciting and I can't wait for that to develop. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really uh, wonderful to hear more about your practice and thinking about the landscape and our impact and uh, where we may be headed. So thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Pia. This was fun. <laughs>
0: Out of the Frame is supported by RMIT University Press Play Studio, is produced by Pierre Johnson, sound engineering by Alex Edward, music by Steph O'Hara, and graphic design by Brent Ledevitz.